This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey there darlings. How you doing? I'm sorry, I'm a little bit out of breath. I just ran into Mickey's room while he's in the hallway. Uh, I've got to go to work in a minute. It's Saturday. I am not complaining, but I am a bit tired. And sometimes when work swings around at the weekend, you do have this thing of like, oh, I just want to stay with the kids today. I just love a light, nice lazy Saturday, enjoying this last bit of summer sunshine all together. But that's not what's happening, and that's fine. I'm going to go and sing, and I'm sure it'll be really lovely when I get there. And, oh, it's been a, a very strange week. I'm sure it's the same for you. Um, obviously, we had um, not wholly unexpected, but still sad news that the Queen died on Thursday. And I'm always a bit... There's always a slight out-of-body feeling for me when anything sort of massively historic happens and you're aware that it's a historic moment while you're living through it. Sort of any big news stories. I have this thing sometimes where I can picture how it's written about in the textbooks uh, for future history students. Um, and I sort of picture the pictures that, you know, they're going to use alongside the, the write-up about this period and, you know, the new king and it's... It's like slightly out of body. 
and obviously we've had lots of different emotions going on. I've been quite interested in who posts what online, if I'm honest. Uh, but I think mostly people have got the tone just right. You know, she was definitely very good at being the queen. And uh, 96 years is a very long time to be alive, let alone have such a long reign as queen for 70 years. And I think, you know, you'd be hard pushed to find anybody that's living now that remembers life before that. So, you know, it's a significant end of an era, beginning of something new. And uh, I had to do a gig yesterday. And I went on stage and I, I said to the crowd, you know, there are some times when you have a gig booked and you think, is doing a gig what everybody wants to hear? But actually, from my point of view, uh, music's always been a good tonic, especially if I'm feeling a bit wobbly or I'm not really sure what happens next, if there's a bit of uncertainty in the air. See reference, pandemic discos. So actually doing a gig last night and being, being with a load of people and having our hands in the air felt, felt really nice, actually. It's comforting, isn't it? And uh, yeah, so to get today I'll get a little bit more of that, I guess, when I sing later on. And this week's podcast, oh, lovely Connie Huck. And now Connie and I, we have um, this really nice relationship where we always feel we're almost sort of related. We're not. It's just that we share Blue Peter. But Blue Peter is being part of our lives. Is quite a well. I've always referred to Miss Blue Peter. I always think of it as like my sibling, um, because I was an only child till I was eight, and my mum was presenting Blue Peter from when I was four to when I was eight. So, for that part of my life, Blue Peter was the other the other person. In, oh golly, very noisy motorbike. Um, Blue Peter was like the sibling I didn't have. You know, it was like a. She'd be go off and, and do Blue Peter and I'd watch it and so my friends watch it and it was this really big presence. And then obviously Connie presented Blue Peter and was in fact the longest, longest serving um, presenter of Blue Peter. So, you know, we had lots to talk about with that. But also, I love seeing Connie. She always makes me laugh. We always have really good chats that go from, you know, lightweight to really putting the world to rights. And so it was a complete joy to sit down with her and just do all of that over again but recorded <laughs> um yeah so I think you're going to enjoy this conversation and it's going to take you on a little roller coaster because I think Connie's very smart and I think our brain works a million miles an hour and goes all over the shop which I love so we had a very bouncy fun conversation and hopefully lots of things that'll make you think and I feel like can you hear that little voice getting there up He's been up since half five today. Half five. Do you ever have that thing where you get woken up early if you have a small person in your life and they wake up early and you just feel like that sense of no one's coming to rescue me. This is just what time my day began and now I've just got to ride out. That's how I felt today. So after the gig last night, I didn't go to bed till about, what time was it? Must have been about one. And then, yeah, about 5.30. Oh, and um, here's Richard. He's come in to check on me. I'm just doing the introduction for the podcast. <laughs> Honestly, I cannot get any flipping quiet in this house. There's nowhere I can go. I feel like I feel like I have a massive magnet in my pocket and people just find me. Anyway, uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just a tired person. And I'm very excited to have the energy of Connie's chat to lift me out of my slightly 
really strange. All right, that's lovely on the other side. Well, nice to see you, Connie. Um, we've already been chatting so much already. <laughs> what have we covered already? We can't ABBA, stop ourselves, technology, can we? <laughs> um, modern life, yeah. good, the bad, the ugly. And everything uh, in between, yeah. basically, um, in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, we've also covered how uh, you you were saying you think you've sort of got the first seven years of raising your child, like that's the bit where you're really like helping to shape the children and then after that, it's just a matter of, you know, dealing with the fallout of all the bits you got wrong and then the therapy they'll be in from when they're 30. <laughs> so, which makes me, I always, whenever people say that thing about show me a child of seven and I'll show you a man, I just feel like, can't have a bit longer, please. Yeah, it's I know, it's not enough. fair on us parents, is it? It's ridiculous that we've only got this less than a decade to shape the adults that will become, but I don't think we actually realise, do we, till you're maybe in your 30s, that like that weird thing you do, that mannerism, the way you're funny when it comes to such and such situation, all of it comes from your upbringing. So much so. And I think in families, there's certain things that are celebrated and certain things that aren't, that go a bit more under the radar. And those things, those character, what's brought out of people. Like, for example, in my house, I've realised, and I realised this big time in lockdown because it was very annoying that I'd always praised a little bit of anarchy and being a little bit silly as well so when it came to trying to do homeschooling those things came back to bite me quite considerably yes. <laughs> I can so relate to I, I think that was the worst part of lockdown for me homeschooling mm. and you think oh you know I, I was like oh I'm, I've been a blue peter possessed for all those years I'll be fine but it was just a nightmare. It was horrible. I hated it. And for you, I can only imagine with five. Yeah. And they're all doing different stuff. And Yeah, I felt like I'd just take bitten off more than I could chew. Where basically, I was like, what, what was I thinking having so many children? I thought I'd been so, you know, clever and yes. great and gung-ho. And yeah. I was like, whoa, I don't know if I can actually uh, deal with the spectrum. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, we obviously have our... Um, we're sort of related by Blue Peter. I know, I do feel like... It's like a sort like of weird... Cousins or something. It is like that, isn't it? It's like we're family. And even, you know, when your mum just rang you earlier, it's like, oh, I just saw her the other day. And But yeah, it is like that. I do think in a weird way, sort of the world of media and show business is like this extended weird... Not quite family. I'd say Blue Peter is family. I'd say we're family, we're cousins. Yeah. But it's this weird sort of thing, isn't it, where you're all sort of enforced upon each other now and then. And lots of people you like, some people you might not quite click with as much, but your paths will cross. Mm. And everyone else's paths will cross. So it's kind of like six degrees of separation, but only it's sort of three degrees or two yeah. sometimes. It's a bit weird, isn't it? What are your memories now, looking back, of your sort of Blue Peter years? Um, I mean, Do you think about it much at all? Does I just, it cross your mind? You know what? So I don't know whether you feel this, but now... So I'm in my mid to late 40s now, and actually, sometimes I look back at things and I almost think like it's almost like that was another person. It's so long ago, and there's so much crammed in our brains now. I remember when I got to what I sort of think of as the tipping point, where I would say that I used to just remember everything. I didn't even need to write things down. I've never been a big sort of diary person for appointments and things like that I used to keep everything in my head and there came that sort of time where I realized that actually it's got to the point where there's so much stuff in my head I am 
forgetting that face or that I've done this thing. And if you think about the fact that on Blue Peter, we were filming five shows a week at, at certain point when so when the cbbc channel came in we were doing two shows on digital on the tuesday and the thursday and then monday wednesday and friday we were on terrestrial wow and so the amount of stuff yeah that we were doing it got to the point where i remember i went to woburn abbey with so this is years later with the kids and then somebody at woburn abbey was saying oh do you remember when you came and you filmed and actually, we had only filmed Link, so we'd filmed some links, me and one of the other presenters, to link another sort of show together. And I literally had no recollection of it. And they really had to jog my memory. And then I did sort of, oh, I vaguely remember that. And I thought, when is the time? You know, there's all these things that are just continually dropping out of our brains. Yeah. And actually, you almost need your memory jogged on stuff to keep renewing, you know, keep that sort of channel alive in your brain, that pathway. And... Now, I guess it's only, you know, I did over 10 years on that program and there's loads of standout times and loads of memories. But yeah, you absolutely can't. That's exactly it. And also, so there's so many, you do so many brilliant things, but it's almost like, you know, you're spoiled. And, you know, that's probably why I never wanted to leave because every day was just so fun. It was just mad. Oh, that's really lovely, though, that you remember it as being really fun. But going up to five shows a week is a lot. I know. So I think my mum did two. Two shows a week Yeah, so I always call it Blue Peter years. So I always say, like, dog years. Blue Peter years aren't normal. So I don't know, if you, I don't know, have a relationship or if you, I don't know, you take up doing that hobby for three years or something it's blue peter years so it's different because the time just flies by yeah and you're doing so much other stuff in that time it's not like you can put yourself into anything else a hundred percent really as the daughter of someone that was doing blue peter when i was little people were constantly making links between what my mum was doing on blue peter and the sort of child that they thought i was having so there's been lots of times when people say oh, did your mum come and do makes with you or something? Because I suppose the whole relationship that people form with the presenters when they're growing up, they they have that sort of... I always felt like Blue Peter presenters were sort of like the, you know, like young young parent type yes, role. Yeah. Not quite older sibling, actually. It was like yeah. a young parent that kind of was guiding you. over the years, you. it's changed. Yeah, I, think I agree it used with that to too. Be, so, you know, I used to watch people like Tony Hart or Valerie... Yes. Well, I didn't quite watch Valerie Singleton, but back in the day, people would watch Valerie Singleton and they would felt much more mature, didn't yes. they? Yes, and then it, I agree with you that Blue Peter, it changed to yeah. being the more older sibling. Then it's like fun aunt and then it's... Yeah. Like, yeah, young parent. Then it's like older sibling. You're 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 absolutely right. Um, but do you think there are any connections between the skill set you got from the show and parenting? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I genuinely love sort of crafting, upcycling, making stuff like all of that. And my younger son loves like he'll literally engineer stuff out of cardboard boxes with hinges and sort of like make. You know, on World Book Day, I'll just be like, oh, just, you know, just dress up in green or something and be Robin Hood, or, you know, something really basic. Um, and he will actually put a costume together and make it of his own volition. And it will sort of be 3D and really good and actually quite impressive, not like it's just sort of made by an eight-year-old, which he is essentially. So he's really got that 
knack. And I quite enjoy doing stuff like that. I love that too, um, actually. I love crafty things. Yeah, I like all of it. Like, I, you know, I do, like, I don't know, we'll sew stuff or we'll, you know, all of that creating stuff. Um, whereas my oldest son, I think he takes off the dad more. And he's sort of, he's much more into sort of, coding and computers and stuff like that and um i'm always saying actually that you know charlie's digital and i'm very analog you know so if something was made out of clockwork that would be <laughs> fine for me you know I, when my phone has like a you know an ios update i'm always like oh no i don't know how to use it anymore oh yeah that feeling <laughs> like oh no they've moved everything around yeah why did they do that <laughs> i'm very much if it ain't broke why fix i like it? the old one yeah exactly that well, I know that um, for my mum, she actually trained as an actress and then ended up presenting, sort of slightly fell into it. What was your, what path. was the, yeah, what was yeah. your path to it? So basically, um, so I've always, like growing up, I was always really torn between sort of, sort of the arts and the sciences, you could say. So basically. Is that the case in your family as well? Because you're the youngest yeah. of three, is that right? I'm the youngest of three and my parents came over in the 60s and as with a lot of, um, parents that come over from sort of countries like Bangladesh they they want to give you a good education and you know so they wanted and actually you know from their background the revered professions essentially were like sort of doctor accountant engineer you know these sorts of sciencey stem things it seems very glamorous and you've made it if you're any of those things and then you know we came over here and there you know here it's glamorous to be you know, fashion model or singer or on telly or actress or whatever. Um, and I always liked sort of performing. So I was in my local theatre group, like Questers Theatre in Ealing, growing up. I used to like doing acting lessons there. And at school as well, I did my drama Guildhall grades. But it was always very much a sort of hobby. Um, and so I was doing like all science A-levels, maths, physics, chemistry, further maths as well. Um but I had, I was in the National Youth Music Theatre and I still loved enjoying all that stuff. And auditions were advertised in Time Out for TV presenters. So me and my sisters all went along. Um, but I was in, I was doing A-levels at that point. But I'd already done my maths A-level uh, in, because I was in, just finished the first year of sixth form. And um, basically I kept getting, I wasn't... Ex- I wasn't expecting to get this job. It was just sort of for a fun but you're day you said sisters, did they all audition as all, well? Yeah, all oh, three wow. of us. Well, it was open auditions. <laughs> this is like, so this is how old we are. This is going back to what, the early 90s. Um, and these open auditions advertised in Time Out were for a cable and satellite pop music programme. But this is before, you know, we had many digital channels. This was in the days of like B Sky B, if you remember. So yeah, yeah. going way back. Um, so I was just going for fun, which is probably why I ended up getting this job because I wasn't really yeah, trying too much so invested hard. in it. Yeah, exactly. And so I had told them when I filled out the forms that I was unemployed and that I'd left school, which considering I looked about three years old back then, it's amazing <laughs> that they actually believed that. But anyway... Um, so basically, I obviously I really wanted to do this job, but then I was still at school and I had quite a cool head of sixth form who's incidentally John Sargent's wife, which is just a coincidence. But anyway, so Mrs. Sargent, she was like, well, this would look really good on your upper form. She managed to wangle it, so I dropped further maths and I'd already done maths A-level. So I just had to do physics and chemistry 
in my second year of A-level. So I had all these free periods and they got me a pager because this is sort of pre-even mobile phones or mobile phones were like a brick. Oh, definitely. A huge, yeah. like a huge brick that was in a leather briefcase. That was a bit of a novelty if you knew someone with a mobile. Yeah. I remember yeah. those days, Connie. Exactly. <laughs> this is, oh my gosh, we're showing our age here. So they got me a bleeper, not even a pager. And I would be bleeped and then they would tell me, and I was like the roving reporter. So they gave me a job on it where I didn't have to present full time, but I was like a roving reporter, but I was also a presenter in the studio, but I only had to record my links every Thursday evening after school. And then I could do the reporting sort of in my free periods because I was only doing two subjects by then. Um, so it's great. I interviewed like Take That and East 17 and the farm and it was you know it was really fun and you know it helped my kudos as well at school you know it, it was really surreal actually um but you know by then obviously I'd got the telly bug because it was like this is be good to do for a living um and so I did go to uni but I didn't do sciences I just I did economics to have a sort of degree to fall back on and then after uni then I I got the blue peter job so yeah so I sort of yeah. Do you think it helped that you were the youngest of the three that did the thing that was... I mean, as you say, like, the prized careers were sort of in... Yes. So, in the sciences. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it helped that I went and did the degree mm. in economics. You, so know, you had that to so fall back had, on. Yeah, exactly. You had an employable And it skill. also helped that, the, you know, the remuneration that I was getting at quite a young age was kind of quite good for, mm. you know, someone that's only 16 years old or whatever. So... Um, and also Blue Peter is a really sort of respectable job. It's something your parents can be proud of. Yeah, it's got its heritage yes. show, isn't it? It wasn't like I was, <laughs> I don't know, doing QVC or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that QVC is bad in any way, but my parents were sort of like, you know, really up for it, um, essentially. So, yeah, so it's, it it's a re recognised solid yes, brand for of the TV. BBC. And the BBC, exactly, yes. All of that stuff. So, so, yeah, that is how I got the gig, I guess. And then, yeah, that gig lasted for ages because, like I say, I'm quite happy with stability. I'm one of yes. these... Or if I'm, you know, I like to... You know, I don't... I, you know, I was so happy on that show. Why mess that up, I guess? Yeah, yeah. No, no. And if, as you, if you said before, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if it's something's mm. working for you and you're having a lovely time and an engage, yes. there's no point to... Move on, and you know what? Stuff I always happening. think as well. It's really suited to me because I love lots of different things, yeah. um, and I'm interested in lots of different things. But I'm also quite flighty, um, so you know, I I want to do a bit of everything, but not necessarily anything in major depth, if yeah. that makes sense. Which is the perfect job for a Blue Peter presenter because you're doing all these different things, um, but you're sort of having a go at them. Yeah, and yeah. you don't have to be amazing at them, you know. And people often think you're really sporty if you're a Blue Peter presenter, and I'm not. And what's good is that I'm quite good at sport until stamina is necessary. You know, like a tennis. If I'm playing tennis, I'm quite good for maybe one game, but then I can't run for the ball anymore quite quickly. You know, yeah. so actually, it's quite good for filming where you have to just sort of get a certain amount in a certain amount. Sounds of time. perfect. Yeah. Perfect exactly. for you. Also, I think what you're talking about there is 
been curious about lots of things and having I mean, that thirst for knowledge and information and yes. shows like Blue Peter are perfect for that because they'll be like, well, are you interested in this? And then you go, well, yes, I am actually, yeah. up to a point. Yeah. Show, show me what you know and I'll see how much further exactly. I want to take it. I'm sort of interested in everything up to a point. But if I could fast forward a little, I wondered if you always wanted to have children. Was that something you always yes, saw? Yes, I did. I always wanted to have kids. Um, and actually, I always thought I'd have three kids and then um and then I had two and I was like I'm done now or I either thought that or I I'll now get another boy uh but actually I'm really glad that I have two boys now because I mean obviously all parents are glad with what they have I couldn't imagine it any other way but weirdly Charlie didn't think he'd ever want kids um he didn't think he was a having kid kind of person so when we got together I was like well if you're not having kid kind of person then then we're not compatible um but actually, it turns out he was a having kid kind of person. And he's really good with kids, actually, which you might not think if you just have seen him on the telly and you've seen his sort of miserable alter ego. But he's, yeah, he's he's a, a lamb in wolf's clothing, I think. So if that, but didn't you get together and get married very swiftly? Yes. So did, did those conversations about starting a family happen within that swiftly? Yeah, because, right, so I was probably, I was mid-30s. And it's that, t- you know, when you're in your mid-30s with the body clock ticking, obviously you, you're sort of thinking, I don't want to just be in another relationship that doesn't go anywhere. Um, I just, you know, now I'm ready for the real deal or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. Quite quickly, it was like, yeah, my way or the highway. So, which is good because then you know if someone's really committed, maybe. I don't know. Either that, that or within... forced him into it and he's living a lie. <laughs> I don't know. But he's doing well with living the lie. He's convinced me that he's enjoying the ride. Um, yeah, I think, I think really he sort of, I don't know, I think maybe it was just an overhang from sort of being young and in London. He grew up in Oxfordshire in a village and he sort of moved to London and was sort of doing his thing. And actually, yeah, he hadn't sort of thought about maybe the longer term and kids, maybe. But I'm still quite impressed because I think, is it right that you got together and then got married within nine months? Yeah. So it's quite a lot of really conversation. That is quick. Yes, no, but literally, because I think I just knew, I was literally like, okay... I'm, this can only, you know, we can, there's no point in us being together unless you're sure you definitely want to have kids. And quite quickly as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, he was up for all that. Because, you know, sometimes you have to, and actually if that had scared him off, then he wasn't the right person. You know, I do think there's this thing where, you know, people, if a relationship breaks up or whatever, and then people are often like, oh, no, but, you know, that would have been so good. They're not the same person that you got together with. Because this person doesn't want to be with you if they've gone, you know, and then they don't have good taste, <laughs> essentially. Because the person you got together with wants to be with you. And whether they've changed or whatever's happened, something's changed in them, or whether you've changed, it doesn't matter. Because the person you want to be with is a is not them something's yeah gone wrong and that's the sort of thing that your friends can see from the outside looking in but when you're in it you can't see it no that's the thing <laughs> that's yeah. a sort of bit of the delusional think, side i can of, change exactly exactly but that that whole thing of like no no there's a there's a gap there and you're filling the gap with what you want rather than the reality yeah of what's and lots there. of i think women in particular you can often mold 
or you often are sort of people pleasing so too too much sometimes in a re- well you can do that in a relationship to sort of fit in or please the other person i think we're more i mean this could be contentious but i'd say we are naturally m- more likely to be people pleasers oh no i think that i don't think that's contentious i think that's um as an overhang of like we've had you know centuries of that that's a, a, a mm. dynamic that's been long long established and part of the whole and we're naturally more empathetic and i think it's partly to do with that as well we want you know everything to pan out well and harmony within a group and all of that stuff yeah but again there's certain ideals that are imposed from very early age with the way we raise girls to boys that still need a bit of a rejig in terms of as you say like the Mm. nurture aspect but we're also encouraged to think that if you're a little girl you're going to want to play with the baby doll and look after that doll and it's like you know all those sorts of things stereotypes yeah Yeah. I think there's a lot fed in from the get-go yes there is and I don't know if you feel it with as a mother of sons that I was very aware of that when I had my first in terms of like messaging on t-shirts and things like that yeah hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I remember as a kid growing up, I wasn't a very girly girl. And in fact, I did want, I wanted to be a boy. I was just like a real tomboy. And, you know, I was brought up sort of wearing trousers the whole time anyway. Um, and often hand-me-downs from my elder sisters. And I did have a short boy cut as well now when I come to think of it. But um, I now, yeah, I look at my two sons 
Um, and actually, you know, and you bring them up the same, don't you? And they turn out so, so ridiculously differently. Like I'm saying, the younger one is really sort of creative and he's like uh, totally can sort of focus on something and sit and invest in something. The other one, he's kind of, unless he's really, really into something, he doesn't want to have a go, he doesn't want to fail at stuff. He's a lot more, um, he's a lot more, anxious about stuff as well and I don't know whether that's you know that can sometimes be an older child thing because they're sort of yeah definitely paving the way and I was the youngest so I think I've always you know the youngest of three I've been quite secure always and I think naturally quite confident um but yeah I I don't know I do feel weirdly I feel I went through my most sort of girly phase actually in my probably in my late teens, early 20s. And then I think when you get to sort of your late 30s, 40s, you're very secure in who you are. Yeah. And you're just so happy in your own skin that you don't need to people please as much. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it falls away, doesn't it? Which Which is is just so liberating. Oh, my goodness. brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. I don't miss that coat at all. No, me neither. Although sometimes I find I've put it back on by accident and I have yeah, to take it off again. Yeah, and that's probably because society makes you put it on at times. Yeah, and I think also old habits. I yeah. was, when I turned 40, I was like, that's that's what this decade's going to be. I'm going to try and be more unapologetic. I think mm. it's starting to settle in. It takes a yeah. little bit of habit breaking, I think, but it's yes. starting to settle in, which is good. It's a nice feeling, I think. It is nice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I really like it. Um so if, what was happening in your life when you first had your first baby then? So your your kids eight and ten now. Yeah, so right? my yeah. kids are eight and ten. So um I had so I'd been doing actually uh so me and Charlie, we decided to get lots of travelling out of the way. Like I said, so in my mid thirties, I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, this needs to be for the long haul now, um, any relationship, or I need to get it out of the way quickly so I can find the one that is for the long haul. And so after we got, so we got married, we got married in Vegas, and we did a road trip around Vegas. That's so cool. Uh, not around Vegas, around America. That yeah. would be a small road trip. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a couple of days. Yeah. We saw loads of arcades. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> we saw loads of casinos. Um, and then we went to we went to Mexico, we went to Australia, we went to Japan, we went to um, India. So we did loads wow. and loads. How, of over how long? How long is that traveling? Trip? So not over that long. So we went on different trips, sort of in between work, and then I'd say so. I probably had Kovi, uh, who's my ten year old. Um, I probably had him within two years. So we did all of that travelling. And actually, I think I then was doing a Lonely Planet series um, in China. So I went off to China and I was there for like two months or something in China. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was mad. It was mad, actually. China is just crazy in one place or moving all around? Moving all around. Extraordinary. Yes, extraordinary. Because weirdly, China is quite a culture shock yeah um because you know even someone like japan you know and i have been i remember actually being lost in japan before once when i had been on a filming trip in kyoto and actually i was quite terrified because it's quite easy not to find someone that speaks english yeah but i'd say japan has a lot more you know it's a lot feels a lot more westernized and you can eventually find 
maybe a sign with English written on, or if not, a policeman that might speak English. Um, whereas China, culturally, it's really weird. There's a lot of them. Um, I remember buildings just almost going up overnight in cities. There's a lot of development, but then the countryside is so rural. And, it's, and even in the cities, there's lots of sort of real elements that feel like you've been transported back to sort of the olden days, essentially. Um, and I, I remember as well, actually, um, you know, going... I, I actually came back sort of really vegetarian. And in fact, I was so thin after I came back from China. I remember a lot of the food had an MSG and you could sort of see crystals of it. And that was when there was sort of, after there had been like a sort of scare over like whether MSG is bad to have. But also the thing of like things like you can buy bags of chicken claws, which they like oh, yeah. crisps and sort of lots of places with tanks full of sort of living sea creatures and lots of sort of because of the language barrier thing unidentified me I wouldn't know what I'm yeah. actually eating um, and even where there was English I remember seeing menus where it's like sort of like fried fallopian tube or you know sort of esophagus oh. yeah and I would think esophagus of what <laughs> you know I've got I've still got photos in my phone actually because I just became this ongoing thing that we'd would text like these funny things like off menus like super pig stomach and weird stuff like that but anyway so I think I got pregnant straight after that trip actually um after I came back from that trip uh, after the fried fallopian tubes yeah maybe it makes you really fertile I don't know maybe that is a, a byproduct of fallopian tubes although I don't think I did I was vegetarian by then so I, okay, have the, I was literally some places we go because we're filming quite rural places yeah and so I'd literally just be anything that sort of looks leafy and green steamed I'll just eat that mm. <laughs> because I was so like you know because and the food was so varied I feel like I'm being a real food snob now but actually I don't eat pork anyway and uh, I yeah I um you know it's good anyway for climate change no but I think also when you go somewhere like China if you know been before the, the the first few ways the culture shock really hits you is getting yourself something to eat somewhere new yeah because you, it makes you realize how you know when all the familiar yes places are taken away and you're like okay which way's up because you haven't worked anything out yet you don't yeah. know what you like you, you know if everything if the cuisine is really that's it different and also it's a production come so it was the show was for lonely planet and they had their own production company i think it's for discovery channel um team out of singapore so i hadn't met any of the people i was with mm. before i did the trip so like you're saying any home comfort yeah it's kind of you know comforting because that the, I didn't know any of them and everyone was from, you know, the, the sound guy was from Australia and it felt like we were, had all just assembled yeah. for this thing from everywhere around the world, essentially. Um, so I guess, and that was a good sort of, I, I say a trip to go out on, but then for motherhood, I was very adamant um, that, you know, I kind of did want to do as much mothering as possible. So I still do, you know, like today after this, I'll go and do a pickup. I still do quite a lot of drop-offs and pickups, like the majority of them. Um, well, I remember thinking, you know, I can do it all. I'm going to be super mum. And I did this show for Sky called King of the Nerds. And I had a five-month-old baby 
And I was like, I'm not overnighting. So they were like, eh, that's fine. You can get a car to Chelmsford every morning at 5am or whatever. And so literally I'd wake up and express milk. <laughs> I'd wake up and express milk and then get into my car before the baby had woken up and then go and film this thing in Chelmsford. It's one of those shows sort of like The Apprentice or, um, I don't know, Next Top Model or one of those where you have two teams and essentially they are battling it out to win some sort of prize, like an yeah. activity where they go, I don't know, laser questing, whatever. And then the losing team have to lick their wounds in the mansion and someone gets voted off, which means that really you, you only need a presenter for the links and comparing the challenge and the rest is actuality. And so I remember I'd get there really early and I'd be willing for the show to wrap because I knew there was this window um, around sort of, four o'clock where if I got on the A the A four oh six or whatever, you know, the road from Chelmsford, that it would shave like an hour off my journey because I wouldn't massive. hit rush hour to get back to my baby. And also if I didn't shave that off, my boobs would be exploding with milk in and it would be really painful. And so yeah. then I, I realised that I'm just doing everything terribly. I'm a bad mother and I'm a bad TV presenter. So I'm going, yeah, let's yeah, we've got that in the can. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> um so so yeah, I guess that sort of all of that travel and getting all of that out of the way and sort of I think I feel that my life has sort of been timed all the things that I've done have been timed quite well. Sort of, yeah. So I've never really had any regrets. If but if you're someone sense. that's always curious and liked all the sort of busyness of... Mm. So how, how did you sort of find it when you're not filling your days with that excitement of those projects? Well, yeah, so I guess that really happened mainly for when... So, because it, it does go quickly, doesn't it? Um, and I own... So I guess... I mean, it feels like it went quickly now. At the time, I probably didn't think it went quickly. Um, but yeah, you're right, because I didn't do... While my kids were babies, I didn't really do any work at all until they were in playgroup. So that's what, from... My eldest one went to playgroup at about three or four. So, yeah, what did I do in that time? I guess I just watched lots and lots of Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> I guess... I don't know, I guess because that is when, you know, Charlie writes from home a lot as well. Mm. And I had just as well co-written a Black Mirror. Um, and so that had had its first series probably about that point. So there's always a lot sort of going on at home, it feels, yeah. where I feel like... I that felt momentum like, is still around. Yeah, that momentum of there's always, you know, some rushes of something that we're watching or... I don't know, and then the babies keep you busy as well. And there's enough sort of going on that I think it went quick enough. And then I am a sort of, like, I do like seeing people, people nearby, though, you know. Yes. And so that's, you build up this sort of network of mum for a new, whole new load yeah. of friends. And you have to sort of, so not sort the wheat from the chaff, but find out who the people are that are on your wavelength. Oh, 100%. Which takes time in itself, Definitely. You, can't, you need more in common than just having a child the same age. Yeah. Absolutely. Otherwise, like, the conversation you need to be watching, stops quite quick, I don't doesn't know, it? the same stuff on Netflix or like liking the same music or something. Yeah, yeah. anything. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, and I, I am one of these people, my, like, my mantra is almost set your standards low so that everything else is a bonus. So I do feel I'm quite easily pleased as a person. So even though I did all that Blue Peter stuff, or what, I do think I, can, I find sort of happiness or joy in really 
simple things as well. So, so as long as you've got like a focus to put things in, I you're kind of quite so. satisfied by I that. I think a lot of people, and I think we tend to do it a lot in modern day societies, you set these goals for yourself. Yeah. And then you're continually disappointed if you don't reach that benchmark or if someone else does or whatever. Whereas I'm like, I don't want to ever set, probably it's that, maybe it's a fear of failure thing. I don't want to set those goals uh, or I'll set my goals really low and then anything else is a bonus. Um, and that means that I always achieve my low goals, but then I'm always really happy as well. I guess it's a good way I'm, to live. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm up, I think that's actually. Um, we've been speaking before we even start recording. We're talking a lot mm. about ho- happiness and things, and yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of pressure, isn't there, now to sort of be happy? But happy shouldn't be a pressure. It's just an innate, organic thing. And yeah. I think what it feels like it's not an innate, internal, organic thing. It comes from exterior stuff, um, and so. Then you're putting your you're setting your goals too high and putting all your eggs in one basket often. Yeah, or well, there's even the pressure of how to achieve the happy that you don't get from external things by you know I don't know mindfulness or meditation mm. or something. And I don't know about you, but, I'm, but that doesn't come easy to me at all. So, so you know I have what? to give myself permission to find it other ways. Yes, yeah, so I do. I literally. So my mindfulness will come from, I just love, like, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a gardener. I don't know much about (laughs) gardening, but I'll mow our lawn and hack, like we have loads, like you actually, you can't see our garden wall at all because of the greenery and I love that. It's like an oasis. I love that I can't see sort of brick wall or anything, you know. I get obsessed with that too, actually. I I like trying to frame a window so all I see is green. Yeah, no, That makes me really happy. It's really nice, actually. We've <laughs> currently got next to neighbours that are trying to want to put up a new wall, and we're like, oh, but we'll lose all our ivy. But the point being um, that sometimes I will literally just hack, you know, the bushes back or the ivy or something, or just clear a space and I don't know, put a bird table there or whatever it is. And that I find that's my mindfulness. And even like something like hoovering or cleaning something is my mindfulness. And I'll often do this thing, so where, as, you know, I said I like doing things in, uh, um, but maybe not necessarily much depth. I was sometimes like, I'll mow the lawn and then I'll get to halfway or get to, you know, a certain point. I think I'm getting a bit bored of this now. So I'll leave a really neat line and the kids sort of have a swing set thing at the end anyway. So it looks sort of like, if I put a neat line, that's the sort of wild mature bit (laughs) with the swings in. So it still looks good to the, I, and then I'll go and do something else. Right. And then when I get bored of that, I'll finish mowing the lawn. You know, so I'll do things in stages where I can leave it left where it's not sort of all chaotic and half done. Like, I don't know, if I'm tidying... So when you come back to it, you're like, okay. Yeah, now I'll do this next... I'll do the second shelf. I'll tidy the second shelf now. I've tidied the first shelf. But I won't tidy the whole bookshelf. I'll tidy shelf by shelf so that I can chop and change. Uh, And so that is... I kind of do that as mindfulness. I do actually relate to a lot of that way of being. But then how does that work when you're writing books? Because you've now done, is it three? So that works really well because weirdly, I write all of my books on my phone. I read that. How how are you doing that? You can see that they're all so... So how are you... Not even in word or notes. Because the weird thing is, so my books are a bit like my brain in that. So the character in the books she has lots of 
she goes off on tangents a lot of the time. Yes. So before we go off on too much tangent, the book is about the girl yes. called Cookie. Yes. And this the first book was it tw- just sort of 2019 so, or Yeah, so that's right. So the it's, it's a so basically, so a lot of what I do, remember I said I've got this science background. I did mm, science mm. A levels. Um since Ding Blue Peter, a lot of stuff I do is sort of science outreach because we have a load of young people sort of going into arts professions and other professions, but not into STEM. So we've fallen behind sort of our European counterparts and we're lagging when it comes to STEM. So kind of the books, you could say that Bridget Jones meets Wimpy Kid, but they also, this the, the main character is quite sort of, she's quite scienty, she's quite practical, her mind is quite methodical. Um, so what it is, so it's Bridget Jones meets Wimpy Kid, but, and the narrative is everything that's happening to her. Um, but then there's also illustrations, which sort of comic strip illustrations of what's going through her brain mm. or the tangents she goes off on her flights of fancy, essentially. So weirdly, I write, the books are all written almost in chunks of 500 words. Each chapter is about 1,500 words. And then those are even split up more with these pictures as well. Yeah. So it's kind of not like writing a sort of, grown-up book where you have to have like you know have to sit down and do you know however many thousand words it's actually I can sometimes and I could sometimes almost think of something when I'm in a doctor's waiting room or something and that comes in my head and I'm like that's a funny observation so I'll go back and just sew it in on my phone weirdly so a lot of the staff uh, so she sees the absurd in everyday life um, so just, I don't know, as an example, if she's thinking, I don't know, just say if I see someone um, and I don't know, they are, I don't know, just say for an example, somebody's doing the school run and they're in really high heels or something. And then she might then go off on a flight of fancy. Like, I wonder how high heels became a thing because they look really uncomfortable, but, and they only add a few centimeters. But then maybe, you know, I, I'm just giving this as an example because yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, think yeah. of a, yeah, you know, just... yeah. So she'll be, I, there's so many better examples of this. Okay, I'll give you an example. In the book, at one point, the teacher says she's going to make some announcements. And then the teacher says, okay, everyone settle down. I've got some announcements to make. And then literally she says, I don't know, library fines have doubled to £2 and lost property has now moved next door to the office. And then Cookie is saying, that's not an announcement. Why didn't she just say it? You know, to me, an announcement is I'm pregnant or I'm getting married. And so then there's a cartoon picture of someone that's pregnant saying, I've got an announcement to make. And then the, the, the person says, what is it? And then she says, I'm wearing grey socks. And he says, oh, okay, I'm off to get married now, bye. You, you know, so it's just little sort of observations. That's so fun. That are this, yeah, so it's all funny things. So if you think of it, that might have come to me not while I'm writing that bit of the story. Yeah. Or, you know, so I'm yeah. always continually going back, sort of sewing in pictures or funny observations or comic strips. So, so and the actual writing, I just can do it on my phone I can be in the garden or I can be upstairs or I can literally be like oh I just I don't know had to record a voiceover in town and there's no point in going back home because school pickup is in office I'm sat in the car and I've got like half an hour to kill or 20 minutes or whatever so I can I'll write a 
couple of paragraphs then and then. Weirdly, because of the way her mind works, it kind of works really well. Yeah. Writing in that frenetic way with the style of the book. So what is your relationship with her? What's it like to create a protagonist? So I would say... So she is, I guess, like a version of me that's highly caricatured because obviously if I was just writing about me growing up, it'd probably be really boring. So everything's a bit heightened. So she's got that Bridget Joan element of like chaos follows her about or everything's a catastrophe. But, you know, uh, we were chatting before and I was saying everyone gets that thing of sort of imposter syndrome where you just think, I'm just going through life, blagging it or bluffing it. When will I be found out? Um, so she will have sort of internal tussles like that and then she'll say no I can do this and then she'll blurt something out where she sort of goes too far or screws it up she's overly confident or whatever yeah Um, and and so it's kind of like I might have that thought in my head but I might not necessarily blurt it out I might she's like me but dialed down yeah you see what I mean and also to get sort of funny things happening like set pieces it often needs to go because there's no magic in it there's no witches and wizards or there's nothing fantastical it's literally about a kid that goes to school and falls out with her friends and makes up with them yeah so you need something to be interesting you know so there will be things so that go wrong for instance like she has a science experiment that might explode and whatever where I might have had an experiment that went wrong but it wouldn't necessarily yeah. drench me and you know but everything is based on real stuff so for instance in book one she goes on a quiz show to represent her school and I did go on blockbusters to represent my school and I got nothing right well I got I only managed to buzz in on two questions which are the two questions she got asked what b is to cast a spell and I said to bind a spell and the answer was bewitch apparently and then Oh, uh, oh, I think bind is a great answer. Yes, yeah, so do I. I think I should have got that. And then we would have actually won if I had got that. Anyway, um, and then I also got... And she gets asked these same questions, so I'm obviously exercising my demons. What P is clear? I didn't buzz in because in, in blood cells. And I knew plasma, but we'd been taught it's yellow, straw-coloured plasma. Right. And they said it was... Anyway, so anyway, the point being, she goes on a quiz show and gets no questions right. And then, for instance, in book two, for instance... It, which is all to do with saving the planet and being eco. They join this forest club and they go on this camping trip and she has to go on this zip wire. And I had to do that with the Royal Marines when I went training on the Royal Marines training course. And I've got tiny hands and you have to clutch. They don't have safety harnesses. Thank goodness I do. You have to clutch around this thing, this rope thing called a strop. And I couldn't actually get purchased round it to grip properly. And I think this Sergeant Major guy just thought I'm making excuses because I'm scared. I don't actually have a problem with heights or anything like yeah. that. It was just literally, I don't think I'll be able My to... My tiny hang. hands And he's like, like, no, you'll be fine. And he just like pushed me out. And I actually um, fall off this thing and I'm hanging like a rattle. It's actually on YouTube. I watch it now and I laugh because it is hilarious. And you can hear me on my mic going... So I sound like I'm dying. Anyway... Cookie has the same thing. I have small hands too. I shouldn't do that. Yeah, don't do that death (laughs) slide. They do it without... uh, It's called the Royal Marines Death Slide. They do it without a safety harness. But they're Marines. I know. Small-handed people like us need to be protected. Um, So that happens to her. And then, like, for instance, in the last book, there's a bit where she's doing this show at school and she comes off stage and her mic's still on and she's blurting out all this stuff to her friend and everyone's listening to it. And that, I mean, you'll know, that's happened so many times in yeah. telly where people come off air and yeah. their mic is... So, so everything is built around real things that have actually happened. But it sounds like you really love 
I really enjoyed it. it. Re- it's really good fun. I just love thinking the, uh, the gags and the... Yeah. And also, what would she do in this situation? How would her mind work? Or what's the tangent she goes off on? Or the point that she misses in this. It, it, yeah, I really enjoyed writing It's them. a good space to go in your head as well. I mean, when I'm listening to you talk, I've got, I might be really wrong, but I get this idea of like you and your husband and you have really exciting <laughs> ways of thinking about the world and there's lots of curiosity and questioning and looking out and thinking about how things... So how does that tessellate with the sort of traditional aspects of parenthood because a lot of it when you become parents there's a lot of yeah, things you... probably terrible parents is how it does I mean I always say this thing of light I just remembered how badly we're getting it uh, wrong when one of our kids came into the kitchen and then went Alexa I mean daddy and I was like oh no this is terrible what has happened but um you know he Charlie his dad used to sort of watch comedy with him from a young age and we love comedy and I think my eldest has got a really weird sense of humor which I think is quite like Charlie like Charlie has got a weird mind and so has Covey um and he's always sort of playing the fool or the entertainer um I mean I guess they and the youngest is always questioning stuff so I do I suppose, like, I don't know, I think the same of your house because I think, you know, you've got five kids and you're both sort of creatives and so it's kind of like never a dull moment, I'd say, probably in your house and in our house. But then what house with kids ever has a dull moment? I mean, yeah. there's always some drama going on. Um, I actually read a... Um, I think, I don't know if it was you or Charlie that said mm. it and I thought, I found it really reassuring and I thought... I actually, it said something like, I mean, this was obviously a while back, it says like, our kids are six and eight, so they're basically a law unto themselves, so there's only so much we can do as parents from this point onwards. And I thought, that's so brilliant, because actually that is true. Yeah. They become, they're their own people, yes. they do their own thing. And I think it's, especially now, like, parenthood is so spoken about and talked about methods of parenting yes, so structured it's actually very it's suffocating so absolutely right so if you think about it so i always say this thing of like when i was growing up my parents would literally i'd just fit in around them mm. and all of us all three of us and all people growing up in our generation we'd all fit around our parents we'd be dragged where they were going we'd do what they did you know we'd have to amuse ourselves you know the amount of times i remember sitting Outside, so they would go to macro. I don't know if you know what yeah, macro, yeah, macro, macro, the cash yeah. and carry, but you weren't allowed in till you were 12. Mm. And so there was this car park full of cars of just kids sitting in these cars waiting for their parents to go. And you'd be carted up to social services now if that happened. But so you'd make your own entertainment. You'd be yeah. sat in this car for like an hour and I Spy would run out quite quickly or whatever. So you'd make your own entertainment. And similarly, you know, I remember being at parents' friends' houses and we'd be upstairs. The kids would all just be hanging around upstairs in the bedrooms or whatever. And I'd end up falling asleep on a pile of coats, you know, on a double bed. And my dad would pick me up asleep still off this pile of coats. And, you know, I'd be put in the back seat of the car and then we'd get home and he'd just take my shoes off and shove me in bed. And I'd wake up the next morning still in the party dress or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, now it's sort of like, you know, it's bath and bedtime at five o'clock and they've got ballet at this time or whatever it is yeah and it's like we're all you know fitting in around them and actually we turned out all right i think didn't we yeah. and we've 
you know, that entertainment in the car in that we in the car park of Macro that we had to make for ourselves. I felt like I was always being left us. in the car when I was a kid. Yeah, I felt like that was a really we common were. thing. Just wait here for a minute. I've got to yes, go and do X Y Z. Nip into yeah. that shop there. Constantly just sat in the yeah, car. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, if I left my kid in the car, he'd yeah. probably be screaming or crying or you know, so yeah. they're totally their brains are wired so differently, young kids yeah. today from up how ours were just from everything the neural pathways because of the fact that you know they have much more instant gratification uh, because they're living in a time where everything is so sort of instantaneous yeah. and but also i think so fast. the emphasis on the parents to be the provider of everything the solve you know the one to equip them with all the life tools because you want yeah. to raise nice people here don't you who can handle their emotions yes. and be kind to people and be ambitious but the right level of ambition yeah. and happy with what they have but also you know striving for something it's like oh my it's all on on you to, yeah. to, to provide all those tools yes so when I read that quote I thought it's so I'm only one part of what's happening yeah, in their childhood totally. I'm not like the absolute everything no I'm because just if the you think role. a big part of our childhood was the surroundings of the macro car park or yeah, whatever yeah. you know all of that stuff whereas it feels like people are just tiger parenting left right and centre yeah. and everything's so competitive down to I don't know birthday parties and goodie bags and tutoring and after school clubs and all of that yeah. stuff which we kind of didn't we weren't subjected to nearly half of it were we growing no. up no, and um, quite happily not, actually. And yeah. I did wonder, actually, with you, because your parents, you said they came over in Bangladesh mm. and like, they made decisions to, to give you a different childhood to the one they had. Yeah. What's the sort of... What would, would be what something that's a takeaway from that that other people who haven't had that um, have? Well, weirdly... So although I didn't have their childhood, obviously you get influenced a lot by your parents. So my mum, she didn't even go to university or anything like that you know she would have dropped out of you know done she did sort of primary schooling essentially um and so she wasn't sort of educated my dad did go to university we came over well we came over I wasn't born then was I but they came over because he got a job with Prudential um in Hoburn who were recruiting from abroad for people to be actuaries um essentially but then so if you think of it she had sort of come and they they were from a village. You know, I went back with Blue Peter filming in the village. Really? Yeah. That's what took you back. That's the first time you'd been so there. So, no, I had been there. So, actually, because, you know, as well, when we were growing up, Sophie, I'm making us out like we're so old. But, I mean, when we did grow up... We're pretty up, much the same if age. If you think of it, though, <laughs> yeah, easy jet and stuff didn't exist. Cheap flights weren't a thing. No. And so, often... We you, are from a different very different like standpoint for how modern life is definitely. yeah totally and so my parents sort of took us on a big family holiday to Bangladesh because you know that's a sort of long haul flight when I was about I was 14 um and that was the first time I'd seen Bangladesh um and you know I went to the village they hired a van and drove us all around um, so we saw everything, but you know, I saw shanty towns, you know, and this there's this big one in the capital where literally kids and families are all living in shacks alongside a railway line, and there's these kids and they're playing on the railway line. You can Google image it, it's madness. And then every now and then a train comes and everyone runs off the railway line. It's just bonkers. And yeah. we went back there filming on to that very shanty town with Blue Peter when I got the job on Blue Peter. And I do remember, you know, and I can speak a bit of Bengali, and they were like, you know, stay for lunch, stay for dinner. They were so, like, 
privilege that would come to film them. They have nothing and they were sort of offering us everything. And But they were really happy as well. The kids were playing happily and they were all so smiley and they just seemed so happy. And the family that we were sort of hanging out with, they seemed so happy. And they, you know, they have nothing and yet they offer you everything, but they seem happy. Mm. Um, and, you know, over here, and I don't know, maybe... It's not a case, but it just feels to me now, and maybe I'm noticing it more because I'm a parent of young children, but there seem to be my sort of more and more friends I have whose kids have got anxiety or sort of have got, you know, need to go and see a therapist or whatever. It feels like mental well-being, I don't know, is... And I could be wrong, I don't know. It seems that simple lifestyle... I mean, I mean they, maybe they don't have the sort of privilege to be able to have... The, the mental issues of X, Y, and Z. No, you're right. Because I know they're sort you mean. of trying to feed themselves, if you see what I mean. Or maybe that there's some messaging that's a bit overwhelming and we've, we've sort of... I mean, it's hot. We, we do have a very consumerist culture. There's lots of things that you're encouraged to feel you've got to do this, that, and the other to achieve things. And I know there's lots of things, probably mistakes I make about trying to work out what job they're going to do when they're older, when yeah. they're really too little to really just know well, how they know, want to dress themselves or whatever. Because, you know, as parents, I think we're, we all feel like that. Mm. And I'm like, really, if my kid is, I don't know, sweeping roads, but they're really happier, that's much better than them being the CEO of a company, but they're unhappy. Unha- but yeah. I know that that's true. But in in this environment that we're in, I still can't get my head around the fact that that's true does that make sense oh yeah absolutely Um, because we're part of it too we're sort of living that life and yeah and going oh actually this I don't know I like going to that place for my coffee and this is how I do this and and you know why I think (laughs) it is I think it's because I might feel embarrassed to say oh my kid they're really happy they're really happy but for a living I don't know they're cleaning poo or whatever they're doing i don't know i'm trying to think of the the thing that most people would aspire not to do without insulting any job because any good job is a good job in its own right i don't want to be snobby against any job the specific cleaning no and i I said cleaning poo as a as opposed to i don't know say i don't know being a carer or a road sweeper or any of those things because those things are actually really gratifying yeah which is like because pete um, and so it goes it goes back to the thing of... It's really tickled me for some reason. <laughs> um, it goes back to the thing of, if you're doing something like a profession, which is like a caring profession, it's a people-people profession. And actually, yeah. when I went filming with the Red Cross to Angola, I remember I was like, oh, what, I'm staying in the Red Cross house? Okay, uh, well, there's no running water, whatever it was. So I was in this house in Angola for two weeks. And I was like, wow, these people are amazing. They give up their life to be an NGO worker and they get posted to this country and then they have to you know and there's loads of NGOs the Halo Trust Médecins Sans Frontières the Mm. Red Cross whatever and they're all living in these houses and they're so selfless and all of this stuff and I was like oh I could never do that they're amazing and actually after that two weeks weirdly I was like this is such fun and it's sort of like being in a student house with these insanely interesting people that have been I don't know shot at in Afghanistan or whatever they've just got all these adventures and they're having these sort of expat parties with other like-minded people um who are all from all around the world and everything and I actually really loved it and then you come back into your bubble and even now I'm like oh I could never do that how do they do that but at the time I was like this is brilliant and it's that thing of you don't realize how brilliant you don't realize how something's brilliant till you're in it so if you're really insanely happy 
doing cleaning the poo to take it back to that my the base level because I'm a children's book writer and it's all about poo and we um but you know you actually when you're on the outside you're like oh I don't want to do that I couldn't do that and you can't believe that you could ever be happy being on the inside but then when you're in the inside you're like I'm so happy here yeah well I think it reminds me of um a conversation I had a really long time ago with I'm an artist who lives around here and she said that for her the, the key to sort of like mental well-being was to find a, a, a purpose bigger than herself, like find a cause bigger than herself. Yeah. So once she was engaged in that, it took her up and out of her own you know, yeah. the noise in your yeah. brain. Yeah, you're noticing because you're, it's a kind of, and I hesitate to say this, but I do remember sort of my mum sort of, and, you know, there's nothing to poo-poo therapy or any of that stuff. Mm. But I remember when her mum died, you know, and she was really sad and she cried for a couple of days or whatever. And then, you know, she was sort of like, okay, business as usual or whatever. And when I went to Angola with that Red Cross trip, I remember the Red Cross saying to me, look, every family has got one person dead or missing in Angola. You know, the mentality here is very different. And it's not that you don't care or whatever, but you've, there's mouths to feed. Yeah. So there's bigger fish to fry. And it's not that, you, you know, that of course you're sad if someone passes away or any trauma you're sad about. Yeah. But, like, you have to, to some extent, get it into perspective. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to carry on with yeah, your life. Whereas over here, we don't necessarily need to because we could still carry on with our life if we're indulging in it, if yeah. that makes sense. Because, you know, our problems are different. We have a difference. And not to detract from the problems we have. Yeah. But, you know, they're different, you know, we are often saying first world problems, aren't we? Yes. Um, and it, it's kind of true because it doesn't mean that the hurt or the pain caused by that problem isn't real to that person. Um, but it might be the same as the hurt and the pain of a bigger problem to someone elsewhere. Yeah. But you've magnified the pain in relation to the cause because we can, because we're living in a different set of circumstances, essentially. So to bring it back to your initial question, what was the, like, what did your parents sort of... It wasn't from remembering their, the initial question. Yeah, it was to do with <laughs> that my parents lived a different no, you're life. Right. And they came over and they brought me up here, but what That's did very impressive. I get from that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that my mum would always say to me, sort of like, you know, take less food on your plate and finish what's on your plate, then take more, but don't leave half of that stuff on the plate because where she had come from, yeah. that half stuff that you're scraping off into the bin, that could have fed someone and kept them alive. And so it gave me that perspective, which means, weirdly, I think had I not had them as parents, I think I'd be much more into consumer things because I'm totally lulled by those things, and especially in my teenage years. I definitely sort of was totally into those things. But internally, my wiring means that somehow I feel guilt on some level to sort of do too much expenditure. And it's all to do with just how I'm wired because we're only all selfish people. So I, because I don't want to feel that guilt or I don't, you know, I don't yeah. necessarily get, you know, make that extra purchase or whatever. But we're all doing things to make ourselves happy and it's how we've been wired to feel happy. Definitely. Which needs to start at the naught to seven. Because yeah. you can't preach, you can't like preach your values to other people because they're already wired by then. So weirdly, you know, if people are saying, uh, Jacob Rees Mogg or Boris Johnson, whatever, whoever it is, Trump or what whoever the person is that they don't agree with, those people have just been wired differently. And so they can't see it because they're 
happiness and their sadness is dictated by a totally different set of values. And that set of values isn't lesser or more because it's just to do with the pain that it causes mentally to them inside, which means we need to rewire them from the beginning to make sure it correlates to things that merit it. Yes. But it's not their fault if it's not correlated like that later on because it's too late, if that makes sense. That's kind of... It's um, kind of like a bitter pill to swallow because it really means we can only solve the world's problems through kids and getting them right really early on. Because then if they have that, you know, if their barometer is set right, then if they are the president of America, they will get their happiness by giving health care. Or if they're the CEO of a company, they'll get their happiness by not increasing fat cat salaries, but workers pay or whatever. Whatever they do, they will have enough empathy and altruism and enough guilt or mental unhappiness by doing the wrong things to do the right things. Because at the end of the day, we only sort of do things to please ourselves because we are innately selfish. Yeah. Um, Just... (laughs) <laughs> wish I could just go back to the beginning of my child raising and just do something a little bit different. No, but it's not on you. It's on your parents. Well, it isn't on your parents. As oh. we said, it's on your environment. Yes. But so it's on the car in macro and it's on all of that environmental stuff. Yes. It's on everything. So it's not the parents. It's not the teachers. It's not the government. It's everything altogether. It's everything. Including being in the car park in macro. So, so the enormity of that, how, do you, how, are you, how, are you, how does that help you with your... With your kids, how, how are you implementing? Well, they're just to, if I make sure, well, not make sure, but if I give them the values that I do think are right from that naught to seven, then they'll do all the rest themselves because my parents gave me those values and I re- re- rebelled against it. I used to think, oh, mum, who cares if you have to f- scrape some food off or whatever? Or I don't care if I've got too many pairs of 501s. I like it and it's making me all of that stuff. And you go through that. But like I say, when you revert later on to being happy in your own skin, you kind of weirdly revert a bit more to those values that your parents got instilled in you even though in your 20s or whatever you might i don't know take those drugs or do whatever it is i do think you still always revert back fundamentally to the naught to seven values yeah so do you hear yourself and it might not be reverting back some people might have kept that lifestyle from naught to seven all the way through so they don't need to revert back yeah but do you feel can you hear yourself saying the things you're parents would have said then definitely like definitely i don't i will tell my kids you know you can have more if you eat that you know but don't put that and then scrape off half in the bit you know i definitely my parents were so like don't want things wasted ever and i'm the same i don't like wasting things i remember just stupid stuff like my mum you know a kitchen roll (laughs) the square of yeah she'd sometimes if there was some orange juice and it's just a little spot she'd rip off half and spot it rather than ripping off a whole one. But the half was enough to get rid of it. It's just like a dot of orange juice on a counter yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But at the time, I think, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> but I might do that now, you know. Yeah. Something, because I think, well, then, you know, you've got double the amount of kitchen roll. Don't get me wrong. If it's a big spot, go for the whole sheet. But just little things like that yeah. at every level. And it's that whole mentality of little things can make big differences if everyone does it. Yeah. But the problem is, is everyone doesn't do it because we've all been brought up differently. Yeah, so but I suppose... But our kids are halfway there because they're teaching all this stuff in schools of using less plastic and, yeah. like, You're walking right. instead of driving or whatever it is. So... The conversations yeah, are happening. Yeah, we didn't have that when we were growing no, up. No, 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 definitely not. Yeah, and I'm probably only all like that because my mum and dad were just like that because they grew up in a 
environment where you, you weren't wasting stuff because it was part of everything that yeah. they had surrounding them. It's interesting, isn't it? It's always so much to unpick and you start to look at it more closely as well as your kids get older and then you think about the things you remember from when you yeah. were little and all that stuff. And and it sounds so pious when you're saying it to someone that isn't of that mindset, because it is, because the values are totally different and yeah. it does look like, oh, you're being stingy but or you're being whatever with that kitchen roll. But it isn't to do with stingy, it's to do with valuing things. And yeah. also knowing that if... You can hold hands, like, it's what we were saying before, actually, before we started recording the podcast, in our pre-podcast musings, um, that if you're in the middle, you can reach a hand up to someone at the top and someone at the bottom, and you're not out of touch with anything. You can not be overawed at a mansion, you can not be snobby at a council mm. flat or a shantytown shack or whatever. Um, but the spread of wealth is only getting higher at the top end. Because you can still get richer and richer and richer on every level, but you can't get poorer than having nothing. And mm. so inequality is just getting crazy. So if we can all just stick to being a bit in the middle, then we, we can reach people on both ends and we've got a chance. Whereas if it's going to spread to a bonkers scale, then suddenly you just can't, you can't relate to people that aren't in your sort of subset, essentially. Yeah, which yeah. is really sad because this has all really only happened since this post-war period. Exactly. Um, yeah, because before that, sort of consumerism wasn't really. You know, we didn't have mass production, so it's in a very short space of time yeah, that all and everything's this is going so fast. Happening. It's going so fast, and it's only getting faster and faster. If you think for millions of years, humans were hunters gatherers, not changing much at all. Every new change leads to ten more changes. You know, we learned to have settlements, and then we could farm food on a bigger scale and we learned how to convert energy so we could have steam trains and travel places and now look we've got technology we've got the internet all of this stuff it's just moving at a bonkers pace and it isn't sustainable with sort of climate change yeah and carbon footprint and the crisis the climate crisis essentially but hopefully sorry kids but you know to seven-year-olds you can fix it all yeah Maybe. I've only got two in that category now, and I feel one of them I've nearly <laughs> just six <laughs> running out. <all> the time. <laughs> when okay. he comes home from school, I'm gonna be like, "We've got to cover a few things." Yeah. I might have left out, um, but you know, it's just to cover it on a very sort of small level because it literally this is all my mindset is like this just because of sort of just really stupid things like not not being allowed to scrape food off into a bin yeah. or whatever. But that's no, but that stuff matters. It does matter, and I think it's amazing that when you've got all the big life experiences, it's things like that, like that everyday thing. That that's actually what's really become well, part of and your. It's, it's so you're right. It's the little everyday things because something like you could go to someone's house. And I don't know, they could have Fortnum and Mason ketchup because mm. we were discussing ketchup earlier we in our, our pre-podcast show. Heinz or, or take it away. Yeah. Or you could have, I don't know, little ketchup, right? But if you're only used to going to the house with Fortnum and Mason ketchup, then you're going to be really, you're going to, you, you won't help but to go, oh, their ketchup's from Lidl, if that makes sense. Whereas if you're in the middle, in the middle, um, <laughs> you know, you can relate, you can sort of, like I say, not go, oh, they've got Fortnum and Mason. You can sort of not be too overawed by that and not be snobby against the little ketchup. It's just ketchup. It's squashed tomatoes, you know. And actually you want... A big part of the problem today is snobbery. Yeah. You know, and snobbery 
is awful because it makes us yeah, all want horrible. stuff because we don't want to be judged. So I think a lot of when we're getting stuff to feel happy is because actually it's not even necessarily to please ourselves. It's the people looking at us being impressed by what we have. Yeah. And how nice, I don't know, our clothing or our holiday pictures are or whatever it is. So it's, it's a weird one. So with, this seems like something that isn't just something you're passionate about, but something that's very well-formed view of things. Is this mm. something you're putting into projects? Is that you mean, see yourself putting sort this Sort of like, somewhere? obviously, I'm an ambassador for Kew Gardens and actually another a climate change charity, which is called Mothers Rise Up, which I guess is very kind of relevant to everything that we've been saying. Um, and I do a lot of sort of stuff obviously around the books, like events with kids, where so the whole of Cookie Book 2 is all to do with sort of saving the planet. Um, but, you know, I put it, I try and put it into everything, like, like even this podcast, I guess I've put it into this somehow. Yeah. But it's not, you know, I'll, I'd never be a politician or anything. I'd hate to be in politics. My sister's in politics and I'm just like, why would you do a thing like that? Um, yeah, I, I, I just try and put it, in, I mean, I think I subconsciously put it into stuff because yeah. it is something that you I'm care passionate about. about. Yeah, so in all of the cookie books, you know, I'm always saying they're not dumbing down because why dumb down? Intelligence up. But then do it through humour and so that it's do it so it's an attractive prospect rather than education, you know, so... No, that stuff's, I think that's the way to do it, by sort of stealth. And, yeah, stealth. That's yeah, it. and I think um, I'm very reassured that if I have got some of this a little bit wrong already at least your kids I doubt will you be have. getting it right so I'll be I don't like... think I, I know you and I know you well enough that I think your kids are going to turn out good uh, it's such a long right. game but you I'll know what really like know you said it's not years. on our shoulders because it's, no, it's, it's part everything it. that they're surrounded yeah. by you know you can't govern social media no. As a parent, you can maybe go, hey, until a certain age, maybe don't look at that website, but look at this website or put yeah. some sort of parental controls. But actually, you know, actually there's a programme on Radio 4 the other day, Social Injustice, but, it's, it, you know, they were saying this very thing of even if you don't subscribe to it, it's so omnipresent, you're yeah. a part of it because you can't help it. It's yeah. the infrastructure we're in now. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, you and I could probably have this conversation for like another four hours. Yeah, actually. well, we already had just, four just, hours before we know, started exactly. pressing the record button. So maybe we'll stop press the we'll stop have, button. This is part and one. We'll do hours. part two. And we'll do a spin-off podcast. <laughs> exactly, yeah, we will. Yeah, just do our own. <laughs> and another thing. Yeah. Putting the world well, to rights. that's perfect. And another thing. And another thing. Sophie and Connie <laughs> put the world to rights. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing. Um, thank you for talking to me. Do you want to know something really funny? Mm. Uh, you said you're analogue and not digital but I think you're the only person I've spoken to who has looked things up on their phone while you've been oh, chatting. Oh, really? Okay. So I, I beg to differ, Connie, actually. In today's society, there is no analogue, unfortunately. No. It's too actually, late. I love tech anyway. Yeah. Bring it on. And, you know, like I said, oh, I was saying in the conversation before, and then we'll end this podcast, you know, <laughs> it's, interactive. it's interactive. It's not like it, any kid that's on an app or on a game, as long as it's the right app or the right game, it's not just mindlessly watching, I don't no. know, YouTubers smashing up stuff. No. You know, so it, it used in the right way. Tech is brilliant. Oh, and not only that, I think for 
uh, what I would hope that other people raising young people would understand is that it is how the world is now. So, yeah, you know, we see, we still see things like iPads and stuff as a kind of luxury item. But for kids, that's no. literally just how they access information. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff they come... My, my children come out with things and I'm like, how do you know that? They go, oh, I watched yeah, something on this about absolutely. it. And I'm like, brilliant, good. Go forth and find it. Yeah, there was then, a time you know, when people thought too. books were the enemy. Exactly. You know? So it's just progress, that's all. Progress, exactly. No, I love it. Here's to, here's to all that. But it's been so good to talk to you. Thank you We can so keep much. chatting more yes. after this as well. Let's do that. Okay, <laughs> press that stop button and we'll yes. go and carry on. Exactly. Ah, that was good energy. I actually genuinely feel more perked up now. And, I mean, isn't Connie great to listen to? So many amazing thoughts going on. And I love her books, by the way. They're really gorgeous and the illustrations are gorgeous and it's just got a real affection in the pages and wit so uh, if you haven't checked out the cookie books go and have a look um but yeah lovely to chat to her as ever and uh, that was a really fun fun conversation to record i really enjoyed it and i've got many more lovely conversations coming your way and i've now got a bag on the floor that i've got to zip up filled with my sparkly bits and my makeup and i'm on my way to norwich today it's going to be a little bit strange because Richard was supposed to be coming with me, but he's got a job that he's got to go in the studio for today. So I'm going on my own. And the reason why that's odd is because he was going to do the cooking demo with me today. So we're doing, I'm doing a festival called Foodies Fest. And at a lot of festivals we've been doing in the summer, like Pub in the Park and Car Fest, Richard and I have done a little cooking demonstration for our cookbook. And we like doing it together. And it means, you know, you get that nice um, chat between the two of us while we're prepping stuff well today I'm going on my own but they'd already built that I was doing the cooking so I've got a sort of stand-in husband um a chef who's already on site who's going to cook with me and probably that'd be really nice but just a little bit different oh sorry I missed now I can hear little Mickey's voice anyway I'm off to Norwich you're off doing whatever you're going to do I hope you're feeling okay um and whatever your emotions have been stirred in you from this week and you know the the queen's you know sad death and new beginnings with king charles king charles the third that sounds pretty crazy doesn't it um i hope you're doing okay because i know for some people and i said this to my friend the queen like the last few pictures of her she looked so like my granny she looked so like sybil baxter who died um she must have died three years ago now I miss my granny and it really reminded me of my granny and I do think that sometimes when you know the tone in the news is one of heaviness and grief and mourning and all these things are spoken about and we look reflecting on a life it makes you think about your own life doesn't it but also people you've lost I think it's I think you'd have to I don't know how you'd avoid that that train of thought really so if that's been something that's been really hard for you then I'm sending you a hug and if you feel fancy free and you're not really thinking about it, that is obviously fine too. And on that note, I'm going to go off and cook some clown pasta and sing for the good people of Norwich. And I will see you next week. Thanks.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.